0: Well, hello, church. We'll try that one more time. Hello, church. Hello. That's way better. It is so great to be with you on this Independence Day weekend. Thank you so much for being a part of worship tonight. Always a joy and a privilege for me, anyway, when I'm able to be here in this setting and uh, talking and hanging out with peers. So, thanks so much for being here with us today. You know, my wife and I, we have entered a new phase of parenting. We are now parents of adults. This is something they don't teach you in Parenting 101, in case you've ever taken that course. They don't teach you about parenting and living with adults. Because you see, they're old enough to make all of the decisions and make all of the choices. Yet, as a parent, we don't worry less or we don't have a deficiency of anxiety. In fact, we have more because of the phase that they're in. Let me give you just an example, completely hypothetical example. (laughs) Imagine my son, I won't tell you which one, probably the oldest, wants to go to a concert in downtown Chicago, and then said son drives to downtown Chicago, and not wanting to spend any extra money on a hotel, the best idea is to then drive all the way back to Indianapolis, late at night, early into the morning. Again, hypothetical. So you could imagine if that was my child was 14 years old, I would be like, no, you're not gonna do that. At first I'd be like, you're 14, you can't drive anyway. So no, but as an adult, They make the choices they do, and they make the decisions that they do, and we as parents, or at least we do, we worry more and have higher levels of anxiety. Something else that I was not prepared for in this new season of being a parent, and that is the silence. The phone calls, the texts, they don't always come and so I feel like in that moment I realize how my mom must have felt or how my mom feels sometimes now when I don't call her. And with my kids, it's at those times we really need to hear from them the most. When they're off on an adventure or they're doing something that when, when they were children, we could have protected them from by simply saying No. But as an adult, they get to choose what they want to choose. And so we just get silence and we don't hear from them. We don't get that when we really, really need it the most. And it's in times like that I feel like, kids, just talk to us. Let us know. Let us know you're there. We want to hear from you. As I tell you that story it reminds me, maybe it reminds you of your spiritual life from time, different times or different seasons, because I don't know about you, but there are seasons in my life when I feel like God is right by my side. We are walking hand in hand. Everything is great. And then there's other times I feel like waiting for a text or a phone call. God, where are you? I just need to hear from you. How long do I endure what I'm going through this difficult season? I imagine we've all felt that way from time to time, if we're really honest. And many times, we feel that way when we're going through the fire, when there's a sickness. We're going through a major emotional relationship issue, or we're going through some, some season of heartbreak. And we're like, God, I just need to hear from you. But then there are other times we go through that and we feel that way because it's Tuesday. Life gets mundane, life gets routine, and we just go through and sometimes in our life we're just spiritually stagnant and we look around and we're like, God, where, where are you? I just need to hear from you. If you have ever felt this way or you're feeling that way right now, rest assured, you're not alone. I've been there. Very likely we've all been there from time to time. Well, this weekend, we kick off a brand new sermon series. I don't know what straw I drew to be able to kick it off, but I did. We get to kick off a brand new sermon series called Summer in the Psalms. And I gotta say, of all the logos we've done, this one, I really like the best. I even wore like a summery shirt. Like if we sold that, I would probably wear it like a pink shirt and that really, really cool uh, to spend some time just looking at some of the Psalms throughout the summer, and today we're gonna to get it kicked off by looking at Psalm 13. And this is a Psalm that David wrote. It is, it is six short verses and it has some great answers to those questions. God, where are you? God, I can't hear from you. I just need to know your presence. But before we do, before we jump into that Psalm with two feet, I don't know if this describes you, it describes me. I find the Psalms a little bit overwhelming. There are a lot of them. There's like 150 of them and you get into some of them and you keep reading and you keep going and you keep going. You're like, how do they all connect? Who wrote them? How do they all work together? Where do you begin? Where do you end? All the things. So I, I, I've, being honest, I think this is the first sermon I've ever done from the book of Psalms. And it was kind of cool. And I was like, well, great, now I can learn a little bit something more. Something I've told you before is whenever I have the opportunity to preach, I not only love just the time up here hanging out with you guys. You guys are the best, by the way. Not only that, but I love the preparation. I love digging into the Word. I love getting into things that I would never have the opportunity to or wouldn't have that opportunity to on a regular basis. So the Psalms were great, and I spent a lot of time reading and researching the Psalms. So we're going to pull the camera back just a little bit, and we're going to look at a little bit of an overview of the Psalms as we jump into this new sermon series together. The very first thing you need to know is that it's broken up into books. You're going to, there are different divisions of the Psalms, and the very first one is the first 41 Psalms. Now, I'm not not going to go through them all or outline all of the books of the Psalms, but I think it's very important that we look at that first one, those first 41, where our text comes from tonight. From Psalm three to 41, I believe David wrote all but three of those. I don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure in my research, I only found three in that section that David didn't write. And here's how they are divided out. The very first section after the introduction, you've got Psalm three through 14, deals all with enemies, the enemies that David faces, things in his life, bad situations, enemies that came into his, uh, around him. Then he jumped into 15 through 24, the kingdom Psalms, talks all about the higher kingdom, the bigger kingdom. And then 25 through 34 deals with the temple itself talks all about the temple. And the very last seven, 35 through 41, talks about spiritual warfare. So that's just a very general overview. Every one of those books has another another division as well. That just gives you an example of what we're gonna be looking at tonight. Out of that first section, the enemy Psalms, we get to Psalm 13. It's in the midst of this that we hear from David, we hear his heart because he's asking those same questions And while that psalm is written, he has already been anointed king, yet Saul is on the throne. He is on the run for his life. He's living in anxiety. He's always looking over his shoulder, fearful for his life. And in the midst of that, he writes the 13th Psalm. So I'm going to invite you, if you would, if you're willing and able, we're going to read that together. We're going to read the 13th Psalm. Now, I'm going to read two versions of it, but the first one is out of the NIV. There might be some words on the screen that look a little bit different. Might, this is, might be a little bit older version of NIV that I have here, but uh, follow along with me if you will. It says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord, my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. There it is. You can have a seat. We always ask God to bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Now, I said I wanted to read two versions. I want to read the New International Reader's Version because I love this version. This is what it would look like through the eyes of a third grader reading that text. And I think it has some really, really cool things for it. And I work with kids, so I like to look through the eyes of a third grader. Anyway, it says this, "'How long, O Lord, Lord, how long must I wait? "'Will you forget me forever? "'How long will you turn your face away from me?' How long must I struggle with my thoughts? How long must my heart be sad day after day? How long will my enemies keep winning the battle over me? Lord, my God, look at me and answer me. Give me new life or I will die. Then my enemies will say, we have beaten him. They will be filled with joy when I die. But I trust in your faithful love. My heart is filled with joy because you save me. I will sing praise to the Lord. He has been good to me. As we unpack these six verses together, they basically outline themselves. Sometimes when I'm working on a sermon, you have to be real creative and draw like a word here and a word there to really get an outline. These six verses essentially outline themselves. And so up front right now, I'm going to give you just a snapshot of what we're going to be talking about all together in this pattern and our outline for our time together. The very first two verses, and I feel like David said these two verses a little bit louder volume than he did the the other four. It was the protest. David feels the emptiness. He feels the loneliness of God's presence. And he protests. And I can almost see him raising his arms up like, God, how long will I have to wait? And from that protest, David moves into a pattern that he continues time and time again. Verses three through four, he moves from a protest to a prayer. And he does what he normally does. In the book of Psalm, verse chapter 55, it says, Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. And from his prayer, he again repeats a pattern, and he moves into a time of praise And he does what he normally does. In Psalm 119, all the way near the end at verse 164, it says this, seven times a day, I praise you for your righteous laws. And although God is always present and was always present in the life of David, he didn't always feel that way. Although he's always present in our lives, we may not always feel that way. What we need to be on guard for is not if that happens, but when it happens and how we respond. The sinful response would be to deny God exists or to just delight in the fact that he's not interfering in our life or to move our life into an indifference or to sin. David models how to respond when we feel this way, to cry out to God, to express sorrow, and to trust in his salvation. So we're gonna begin by looking at the protest, verses one through two. In those first two verses, David asks a two-word question four different times. Four different times he says, how long? Perhaps you've asked that very question of God. How long? And you can just fill in the blank. For me, I don't have to look back too far. I actually know the date. The date was June 17th just a couple of weeks ago. You see, it was the last day of our week of church camp at Camp Allendale. Best week of the year, if you don't believe me, ask one of our leaders, ask one of our kids, they will be sure to tell you. It is the best, best week of the year. On June 17th, camp was over, and I had a bit of a rough transition back into the non-camp life. It was about 10 o'clock at night, when I should just be relaxing and I went to bed. And my back really started to hurt. And I was like, ah, camp will do that to you. Need to go to see the chiropractor pretty soon. But from 10 o'clock on, it got a lot worse than just normal back pain. So for the next probably eight hours, I was like flipping and flopping and getting up and taking Advil and and putting BioFreeze on my back and, and going from room to room and all night, did not sleep more than 10 or 15 minutes at a time. So my wife, who had just experienced five, near, five nights of pure bliss, of peaceful sleep, was so excited to have me home. And I woke up in the morning and I realized the pain was probably not back pain. So we went to a quick med location. And while there, just for the few minutes I was there, the pain went. To the next level of intensity. And I was crying. I couldn't sit up. I was in unbearable pain. And I found myself asking God those two words. And I said, how long? How long must I endure this? I don't know what this is, but how long? When I was in the middle of it. And then about 10 a.m., just as Almost 12 hours after it had begun, it was like a light switch went from on to off, pain went from a 10 to a zero, and I discovered I have my first experience with a kidney stone. How exciting. So in the midst of that, those 12 hours felt like 12 days, felt like 12 weeks. There are many times we, f- we have to ask that question of God, how long? How long must I endure this? How long do I go through it? When it comes to time, we tend to think in minutes, seconds, hours, maybe even days. God tends to think in a little bit longer of a time frame. He tends to think of things in years. And that can be so frustrating for us because we live in an immediate resolution culture, don't we? We live in a time and a place where we want, if there's a problem, we want it fixed or we want out of that situation immediately. And I look back. And I laugh at just how things have changed because when I was a kid and cable came onto the scene and your cable went out, you just dealt with it. You would go days. It's like they didn't even care if it came back on and then it would come back on. You're like, oh, that's how it works. Today, if you're at home and the internet comes out, the internet goes out, it's about 10 seconds. Get out our phones We're on a chat with customer support. We're calling neighbors. We're posting on Center Grove Chatter. I do not believe that my internet is out. We want it fixed right now. Immediate resolution. Even earlier this week, where I live, our power doesn't go out often, but a squirrel, may God rest his soul, got into the substation. And because of that, we were out without power for seven hours. And I was like, How long is this gonna go on? Is the food gonna go bad? What is going on? We want immediate resolution, but God works at a different timetable, doesn't he? There are a lot of examples through scripture. If you look at David himself, the time he was on the run from Saul was not days, it was not months, it was years that he was on the run. He lived in extensively long anguish and turmoil what about Joseph from the Old Testament? God wanted Joseph in a position of power in Egypt. But if you track how he got there, it did not happen overnight. He was sold by his brothers into slavery. He was, Potiphar's wife lied about him. He was thrown into jail. While in jail for who knows how long, he met a couple of friends and a couple of his friends are like, hey, we're getting released from jail. And one of them was the king's cupbearer. And Joseph was like, "Huh, oh, Great, hey, when you get out, will you remember me? And they're like, yes, we will. And as soon as they got out, they forgot all about him. And then we get to a verse in Genesis 41 that reads this about Joseph. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. Two full years passed. Could God have not given Pharaoh a dream the next day, the next week, the next month? Why did it have to be years, years later? Why was the wait so long? J- Joseph spent a better part of his 20s either as a slave or in prison in Egypt. But at the end, God, uh, God's plan was accomplished. But it wasn't immediate. Take the Apostle Paul. From the time he began and on his missionary journeys, it was not days or weeks, it was years. Sometimes he was in jail for a long, long time. And while he was in jail, there were people right outside the jail dying without Jesus. If you read in Acts 24, verse 27, it says this, when two full years, when two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus, but because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison, Was Paul not walking by faith? Was Paul not praying? Why did he have to sit there for two more years? In the very first section of that Psalm in Psalm 13, David asks the question, how long? Four different times. See if any of these questions resonate with you and your relationship to God. God, how long will you forget about me? Have you ever felt like God has forgotten about you? Or how long will you hide your face from me? Have you ever just felt spiritually empty? Maybe not a major trial or hardship, but you can't see God in the day to day. This expression, the shining of God's face is from the Old Testament. And it indicates that when that happens, you have God's blessing. So David is saying, God, I don't see your blessings anymore. Or this one. I bet every single one of us can relate to this. God, how long must I be sad? As the New International Readers version says, day after day, I'm sad. Have you ever been there? All I have are my own thoughts. They are what fill fill me, but fill my cup. Maybe you're dealing with anxiety or depression. Maybe you're going through significant time in your life where you ask that question every single day. God, how long must I be sad? Or how about the fourth one? How long will my enemies or even the enemy win? God, I'm faithful, but why does it feel like I'm always losing? The reality of those first two verses in Psalm 13 is we've probably faced each and every one of those questions that David did. But David doesn't stay there. He doesn't stay in that tone with his arms raised, yelling and protesting. He moves into a rhythm which he's established for his life. He moves from a protest to prayer. He turns to God in verses three through four. And in that prayer, he asks God three things. He says, Look on me, answer, and give light to my eyes. If you need to know someone who prays well, prays often, David is your guy. As we very briefly at the beginning talked about from Psalm 55, when it said, morning, noon and night, he prayed. Let me read the rest of that Psalm or the portion around that from Psalm 55, starting at verse 16 says, but I call to God and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning and noon, I cry out in distress and he hears my voice. He ransoms me unharmed from the battle waged against me. Even though many oppose me, God who is enthroned forever will hear them and afflict them. Men who never change their ways and have no fear of God. Prayer is not about giving God all the details. Prayer is not about filling in the gap of what God doesn't know. David doesn't say in his prayer, "God, let me tell you, in case you don't know, I've been living in a cave, I'm scared of my life, just in case just want to fill in all of the de- details, so you have all the information. When we pray, Especially in those moments, especially in those moments where we don't feel God's presence and we don't feel His closeness, we're not giving Him new information, we're inviting Him to the conversation. And that's what David did. David invited God into the conversation. We learn this later in the New Testament in the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter four says this, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guide your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In these verses, verses three through four, we see David doesn't wanna give up. He doesn't wanna give up physically. He doesn't wanna give up spiritually. He says, God, fill my eyes. My eyes are going dim. That terminology of eyes going dim is a Hebrew term and a Hebrew phrase for death is very close. He's saying, God, fill me with your light. I want to see your face again. And in those verses, we read that and we we. Read later in 2 Corinthians this, we do not want you to be uninformed brothers about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired even of life. Kind of sounds like David. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. You know, that last part of that verse is a great answer to the question, why? When David asks the question, how long? Four different times. What he's really asking is why. Why do I have to wait this long? Why do I have to endure this long? Why is at the core of what David is saying? And there's a great answer to the question, why? For you and for me why do we have to wait? Why do we have to rely on God's timing? It says, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. You know, just for a moment, I wanna take a step out of our own, take a step out, take a step back from our own experience about when we don't feel God's presence in our life. I wanna take a broader picture about the times that we don't feel like we see or hear God around us in culture, in our nation, in the world around us. Maybe you can relate to those times because there are times in our life where we feel where is God in the world that we live in. We live in a time right now where we need to pray for our nation. We live in a time where we need to pray for our leaders and we need to pray for the world Around us. Just last week, Pastor Chris talked about the book of Habakkuk in the final sermon series on the Ask Me Anything section, and he talked about the nation of, the, the nation of Judah as they were uh, being judged by the Babylonians. I want to read or reread from Habakkuk 1 and see if this resonates today. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. It's almost like that could be written today. We need to pray for our nation. We need to pray for our leaders, for God to be present. The application is very simple for us. It's very, very simple. When God is silent, when we don't feel God, when we don't see God, we should pray. We should go to him and invite him into our conversation. We should invite him into the conversation for our country, for our state, and for each and every one of us. The third section, David moves from his prayer to another rhythm he's established is praise. And I wonder what David was remembering because at the very end, when this section, he's like, I remember all the things you did. I remember what he was remembering when he moved into that praise. Was he remembering the time he was on the field with the Philistines and he took down Goliath with God by his side and just a stone? And a sling. Did he remember another time when he was delivered from Saul? Did he remember another time when he was delivered from an enemy? I don't know what it was, but in that moment, he remembered. David rejoices in the presence of God and his redemption. But even David didn't fully understand how God saves. But today, we understand. We have a bigger picture and a bigger, a better reason to rejoice that can only come through Jesus. Jesus is that salvation. God has shown his unfailing love throughout history. And we actually have a bigger history to draw on than David did. Throughout the Psalms though, David points to Jesus. Time and time again, he points to Jesus. Here's just a couple of examples. In Psalm 3.8, from the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. In 14.7, oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. And Psalm 18.50 says, he gives his king great victories. He shows unfailing kindness to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. Time and time again throughout the Psalms, David points to Jesus from Psalm 13, verses one and two, when David is, is protesting his situation to God to the very end when he's praising him, from that time in those six verses, his circumstance didn't change. God did not deliver David by verse six. He was still in a cave. He was still on the run. He was still fearing for his life. His circumstance didn't change. But his focus changed. David changed his focus. At the very beginning, he was focusing on what he didn't know about God because he had the questions. He's like, God, how long, why, I don't know. This is a list of what I don't know about you. And then he goes down and by the end, in verses five and six, he focuses on what he does know about God and the things he can remember and the experience he has had with God. That is a great, great picture for you and me. When we're in a situation where we feel like God is nowhere to be found, we're in a situation where we're like, God, why? Where are you? And we have a lot of questions about things that we don't know about God. We need to turn our focus back on all the things that we do. In the book of Isaiah chapter 12, we, we read, surely God is my salvation I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense and has become my salvation. If we remember all the way back to the story of Joseph that we talked about earlier, we read another truth at the very end of the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 50. Says this, his brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said, but Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Oftentimes when we're going through things, we're going through the fire, we're going through life, we don't always see God's presence. He's always there. He's always with us. We need to turn to him. We need to pray to him, celebrate and praise him. David, in this psalm, displays seven different stages of emotion and action, much like the seven stages of grief, but it looks like this. He thinks himself shut off from God. He fears his enemies. He fears his adversaries. He becomes sorrowful. He begins to sink under the pressure. He moves into trusting. The trust led him to prayer, and prayer leads to deliverance that comes from answered prayer. When we come to a point in our life, or maybe even the week ahead or later tonight, that we feel like David did with the psalm, and you feel like God is nowhere to be seen, nowhere to be heard, follow the pattern of David. Cry out to God, look to him through prayer, and trust in his salvation. And then focus on what you know about God, not what we don't know about God. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to look into your word. We just pray fervently for your presence to be around us. We are grateful for the times when it feels like we're walking hand in hand and we look longingly at your face to be ever present in our lives. And we know and we can trust that salvation only comes from you. Remind us of that each and every day, each and every moment that salvation comes from you. We love you, we praise you, we give you all the glory and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm gonna invite you to stand if you would. If you're at a point in your life where you just need to see God, you need to see his presence, you need to see him, you need to feel God's presence, I'm gonna invite you if you would during the song just to come down and pray. Just come down and ask God, invite him into the conversation. Will you come as we sing?